G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you on our Wednesday evening, I think as we get closer to footy season I'll try and ramp it up and do a Tuesday and a Thursday pod along with the well coveted Sunday sit down with JLO but until then, while we get through the last bit of pre-season and before the NBA playoffs rock up, I'm going to do two episodes a week. One on a Wednesday and one obviously on the weekend, joined by the great man. But today, flying solo, I want to talk a little bit about AFL Fantasy. I know that we're still 43, four days away from round one, so there's still plenty of tinkering to be done with our teams. But there's some interesting trends that I've noticed and a couple of players and bits and pieces that I want to discuss pretty uh, openly. And then there's a couple of other things I want to talk about in the NBA environment as well. The All-Star Reserves are going to be named soon, which is pretty exciting time. There's teams rolling, teams that are shit in the bed, trending in the opposite direction. And the MVP race continues to evolve and develop as well. So let's dive into those topics and waste no more time. Starting with fantasy footy, where else would I start in the sports bee pod? I want to look particularly at the Ruckman initially. Now, my ruck structure in my fantasy side will probably dictate how many other big dogs I have across other lines. And at the moment, I've tweaked things slightly. I did have Darcy Cameron and Luke Jackson toggling between my forward and ruck spot initially with the large fries and Coke 1.0, but I've changed it. Obviously, Darcy Cameron is dealing with a bit of a hamstring issue at the moment, the severity of which we're not really sure, but he still offers a bit of upside and I still might pick him. Luke Jackson, though, I don't have the same confidence. So I may bleed purple and be a passionate Dockers fan, but I don't think it makes sense to pick Jacko from a fantasy perspective. So instead, I've slotted in Timmy English into my R1 spot. I'm going to talk about him over the coming weeks because I'm doing my Deck of DT article on the Dream Team talk site about him. Got another article in the works that'll drop. What's the date? 1st of Feb. Happy 1st of Feb. Uh, pinch and a punch the first day of the month. But I want to probably do that Timmy English article week and a half from now, roughly, before I do the deck of DT one. So I'm not going to dive too much into Timmy English, but I think by the end of the year, he'll establish himself as the best fantasy ruckman in the competition. My second ruck spot is where things start to get a bit interesting. Timmy English is obviously a very popular pick. He's in 32% of teams right now. Rowan Marshall's in about 34% of teams. And then there's a couple of other people who are taking the plunge on one or both of the Demons guys in Max Gorn and Brody Grundy. But my second ruckman is Scott Lysette. Speaking of the deck of DT, I wrote an article on Scotty Lysette that'll come out tomorrow morning. So you can go to the Dream Team talk site and check that one out. But I think Scotty Lysette has some serious upside rolling into this season. He had pretty severe injury issue with a dislocated shoulder or maybe even a shoulder reconstruction. Now I think about it. And then obviously had an infection after the surgery. He's actually had three shoulder recos or three major ops, I should say. And each time he's had a serious infection that's caused him to miss an extended period of time. He was talking about it on the back chat podcast later in the year. So now he enters the 2023 season price at about 70 throughout his career. He's averaged in the high seventies, but I think Scotty Lysette might be able to go about 15 points better this season. I think he can average around the 85 mark and he's got a somewhat friendly fixture to start the season. He has to take on Riley O'Brien and the aforementioned Tim English at some point, but he's got West coast. I think he'll towel up whoever's there, Ruckman, Sydney, you know, Good luck, Tom Hickey, or whoever's running out against him. And a couple of other teams that don't exactly scare me 
too much. He's got Brisbane. I think Collingwood's the other one off the top of my head. So I think Lysette could put up a couple of 90s, really start the year hot, and maybe then we'll have a bit more of an idea as to how the ruck landscape's going to look. So that's where I'm leaning towards picking with regards to my ruckman. I'm going to have English and Scott Lysette, and I don't think I'll change a lot unless one of them gets hurt throughout the rest of the preseason. Lysette, it's only priced at about 622K off the top of my head. And he was one of the players that I talked about in my recent article, looking at some mid-prices that you seriously need to consider for this season. I won't go through the whole list. I will attach the link to that article in the podcast description and the YouTube notes. So you can check out the whole thing there or visit sportsbyfry.com. But Lysette, like I said, has a lot of upside and there's plenty of players out there that offer the same appeal for fantasy coaches who are slightly underpriced to commence the year. At the moment, down back, some of the players that I talked about include Elliot Yo and Nick Caulfield. Yoey's and Caulfield, actually, for that matter, have been in and out of my side, depending a bit on my team's structure and makeup. And I think that Caulfield is priced in the 40s. And obviously, we've all talked about Elliot Yo, and if he does go back into the midfield for the Coasters, then he's probably going to be 10, 15 points better than what he's priced at as well. I've also got Domi Sheed. There's actually a lot of Eagles that offer tons of fantasy value, if you ask me, rolling into this new season. Dom Sheed, I think, is poised to have his best year of his career. I talked about him on the most recent episode, and I talked about him at the start of the fantasy season when the platform first opened as one of the players that you must pick. And I haven't changed my tune. I still think he's going to be great. Still love Dominic Sheed. He's obviously famous in uh, West Coast folklore, and I think that he can offer plenty of upside as well, priced Mm, 66, I think, is even. He's going 90 plus, I reckon, this year. The last one that I have in my side at the moment is Jason Horn Francis. I didn't include Wayne Miller in this article. He's now Crosstown rival, but he's another one who's found his way in and out of my team in the last week or two. I'll talk maybe about him an extended length because, like I said, I kind of overlooked him in this article that I'm mentioning. But Horn Francis, I think he underperformed a bit as a rookie. He only survived one year at North Melbourne before requesting a trade home. He has had surgery on both knees in the off season. So that'll scare some coaches off. It's priced at 62 though. And I don't know about you, but after watching his draft highlights, some of his VFL highlights, I know that that's lesser competition for lack of a better word, but he's still an elite player. He still looks like he's going to be a clearance bull, a Paddy Dangerfield type of player where he uses his elite acceleration and burst of speed and a bit of power to get out of stoppages. And I think he's going to show glimpses of that this season. And given his price in the sixties, I think an average in the low seventies, maybe pushing 80 is where we're going to see Horn Francis this year. A bit will depend on how healthy he is and how quickly he's able to build back up to full strength after this off season surgery. But all reports indicate that he keeps slowly building his training loads and he's trending in the right direction. So for that reason, he's sitting in my team. There's a couple of other of those mid-prices who I'll consider. Christian Salem, James Warple, uh, Lloyd Meek as well, the Hawthorne Ruckman. He may offer coaches a very handy R2 option if he's going to be the lead ruck at the Hawks. But some of those mid-prices have a little bit more risk attached to them than others. So make sure you go through the list with a fine tooth comb and find out which ones appeal to you for season 2023. Quickly, before I transition into a bit of basketball talk, I want to just touch on the top-line midfielders. Now, at the moment, I've got Jack Steele and Tuke Miller in my team. First iteration of the large fries and coke had Andy Brasher in there. And as a Dockers fan, he may find his way back into my team before round one. But it's very tight at the top. I know that Rory Laird's priced a little bit above 
the others and some people are paying up for him, which makes a lot of sense. The bloke averaged 120 across 20 games last year. But guys like Callum Mills, Clayton Oliver, Jack McRae, I'm probably blanking on a few others, but you can probably put all of them in a bit of a basket because I think they're all going to be pretty similar. Obviously, we can't forecast injuries and exactly what their projected roles are going to look like, but I wouldn't be shocked if one or a couple of them went 115 plus. McRae, I wrote about him again in the deck of DT. He scares me off a little bit more because his numbers tend to tail off in the back half of the year. And now that Dunkley's gone, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bulldogs decide to deploy some of their other younger or untried guys through the CBA rotations. And McRae might have to spend a bit more time starting on a wing or at a half forward. Imagine McRae getting forward status. That'd be pretty handy. So I think I've almost ruled him out, but there was a team that I made the other day and made a few tweaks and changes where he sat there next to Tuke Miller and I took Steele out. So regardless of a bit of personal preference, I think with regards to all those top line midfielders, you want to look at the guys who tackle a shitload. And obviously the reason that they're fantasy stars is because they do fill up the box score in a lot of areas, especially in the tackles. Steele, he's been leading the tackling count, if not annually, then over the last, I'd say, three years, he probably has the most tackles in the league. Clayton and Rory Laird are no strangers to tackles. Rory Laird last year set the single game record for the most tackles in a contest. So a lot of those guys do have really high tackle numbers. And I'll be interested to see not just how many center bounce attendances they get throughout the trial matches, but the tackle count for a lot of players. One of the guys in the cheaper uh, mid-price section that I talked about was Jai Cully, tackling beast. I think he nearly had more tackles than he did disposals in his four senior games last year. So keep an eye throughout the preseason and the rest of the practice matches and that who's tackling a lot, especially of those superstars. Cause if they're showing intent and tackling a lot in the practice games, hate to see what they're doing when round one finally arrives. All right. Basketball time. This probably won't be as long as the AFL fantasy section. Cause I do plan on doing a lot of basketball talk with JLo when uh, our Sunday sit down rolls around But it's pretty exciting time of the year. We're about to get to the trade deadline. We're about just over a week away from that. We've got the All-Star game coming up. Like I said, we know the starters, the reserves are being announced soon. And amongst all this, there's actual games going on and players performing. So the Philadelphia 76ers are a team that I want to spend a few minutes on. They rolled a 20-5 and record in their last 25 contests. They just lost to the giant killers Orlando last time out, but Embiid has squarely put himself back in the top couple of contenders for the MVP. He's leading the league in scoring at the moment in a head-to-head match with Jokic just last weekend. He looked like he was a dominant big man. He looked like he was the best player on the floor, scored 47 points and really outshone Jokic. I don't think I'm going to hold one game, you know, with too much weight when it comes to addressing the MVP race at the end of the season, but it's something worth mentioning. Philly are rolling. And a big part of it is not only that Joel Embiid is playing like an MVP and a true superstar. We all know that he can do that. James Harden's actually started to play the basketball that we've all wanted James Harden to do. Instead of dribbling at the top of the keyway for half of the shot clock or three quarters of it, he's actually initiating the offense, getting the ball to Joel, shooting a lot of catch and shoot threes or a lot more compared to Harden in the past, which is very encouraging for Philly. The start of the season, I actually put a bit of uh, my financial capital on the Sixers to win it all. And I think this this isn't win a title or bust for Philly, but they need to go on a deep run this year. I'd like to see them make the conference finals. I think anything less than that is a failure for them. And we've seen that Harden becomes a bit of a shrinking violet when the lights are the brightest. So Philly's play right now is really encouraging. 
I don't know if they're going to be able to maintain it when the postseason rolls around, but if they finish with a top two, three seed, they might even finish with a one seed the way that they're going at the moment. That's a good sign. And I think that this really is their best chance that they've had to win a title. Now that Harden's kind of shifted his mentality, they got weapons as well. I love the De'Anthony Melton addition. I think that he gives them a lot of options with closing and starting lineups for that matter. Tyrese Maxey is the definition of a spark plug scorer. He can give you 20 in a half. He can go for 40 in a playoff game. I think that he's going to be a really important piece. And Tobias Harris, if he's the fourth best player on Philly, I did do a proposed trade where they flipped him for John Collins. And I, I guess it doesn't make as much schematic sense to pair Collins with Embiid, but I kind of underrate Harris. And I think we all have for the last few years, if he can just settle into that role perfectly and do a similar thing to what I mentioned Maxi can do, if he can have a big couple of games throughout the playoffs, they can definitely swing a few series in the Sixers' favour. Embiid was the first talking point though, and I want to use his name to transition into the MVP race. I still have Nikola Jokic as the clear number one. I don't think anyone else would disagree with that. Right now, your useless sports by Fry stat of the episode is that Nikola Jokic is 16-0, or the Nuggets, I should say, is 16-0, every time that Jokic gets a triple-double. Had another 25, 18, and 12 today, something along those lines. He's now averaging a 25-point triple-double for the entire season. It's a bit different to when we saw Westbrook do it. He was somewhat stat padding, but Jokic just does this so naturally. Get the ball to him at the high post. He's either going to score, find the mismatch, create an unreal assist by looking away defenders. He is, in my eyes, the best player in the game right now. Doesn't mean that he's going to be that way when the playoffs roll around, but it holds the Nugs in good stead. And I think he deserves to hold pole position at the top of the MVP award. Then it gets interesting. Last MVP ladder that I did, I had Luka Doncic second. I've had Giannis second for a period of time. I had Jason Tatum second at one point. Now I've mentioned Embiid's going on a surge. I think outside of that top five, though, there's no one really that can make a late run for the MVP. You could say Jar. You could say Steph, especially if they go on a big winning streak with their teams and individually their stats back it up. But I think those five that I listed off here, Tatum, Jokic, Giannis, Luca, and Embiid. I think that those are the five who are the serious front runners for the award right now. And I think I'm putting Luca fifth in that group. It sounds absurd because when you look at the definition of MVP, if without him, I don't know where Dallas would be this season. They'd be treading water with the Houston Rockets and the Charlotte Hornets of the world right at the bottom of the standings. So it does come down to a bit of personal preference. What do you weigh when it comes to making your MVP picks? But I think you've got to go in reverse order of the top five, Doncic, Giannis, Embiid, Tatum, Jokic. But I'm going to do another MVP ladder soon, and that order will probably shuffle depending on how the next couple of games and weeks unfold. Last thing before I sign off, we are getting to the pointy end of trade season, and I want to address a couple of the teams that I think should be buyers and sellers. The first seller that I have is the Toronto Raptors. I think they wanted to go on a recent road trip and see how things are looking, but Sham Sarania released a big trade article the other day talking about all the rumors in the league and addressed about upwards of 30 players and a couple of teams and hypothetical deals that they're linked with. And Toronto Raptors are littered throughout that group. So I don't expect them to sit pat and do nothing. I think that Siakam will stay. I think Scotty Barnes will stay. I think OG Ananobi's Ananobi is going to be on the move and the Knicks seem like they're a serious contender. Maybe someone like the Grizzlies offers up a little bit more to try and pry him away. 
Fred Van Vliet is the really interesting one though. I've addressed on this podcast and through multiple socials before that I think Orlando would be very wise to make a play for him. Maybe package Jalen Suggs, a Terrence Ross contract and one of their big men to push the deal through with a first. I think that that's a pretty win-win deal for both sides. Maybe a couple of other extra picks or pick swaps. And I think that Fred Van Vliet in Orlando would excel. But I also really want to see him on the Los Angeles Lakers. Gary Trent Jr. plus, plus Fred Van Vliet's contract almost matches up perfectly with Russell Westbrook. If the Lakers were able to add Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet, add them as their starting two guards, have Schroeder off the bench, and then you've got the wings with Aruri Hachimura, maybe a couple of other buyout guys. We've seen some guys like Austin Reeves and a blank of the other name, Max Christie. He's had a pretty solid season for the Lakers so far. If you can deploy some of those guys, and then, like I said, have Rui, LeBron, and then your Anthony Davis and Thomas Bryant throughout the middle of the field and the number five rotation. I think that that's a pretty good team. And the Lakers could push up into the playing game and maybe win a couple of games and get into the playoffs. That's not absurd to think. However, I do think like the Lakers have addressed and said a little bit, they're probably only going to make minor fringe moves around the edges, use the cap space they may have in the off season to retool and tinker this team to try and turn it back into a winner around LeBron and AD. But making a move for Fred Van Vliet isn't impossible. The Lakers, as I've said, I think clearly should be buyers, whether they go after another shooter like an Eric Gordon, try to just get him out of Houston because he's clearly unhappy there. Maybe they target someone like a Jordan Clarkson from Utah. He could be a very interesting spark plug off their bench or maybe even start for them, depending on the makeup of the rest of their roster. But the Lakers clearly need to do something. So do Dallas, for that matter. They clearly need to get Lucas some help, as I've addressed when I talked about the MVP. Dorian Finney-Smith is a guy that might find himself dealt. The Mavs have said that they want to move him and get a star player in return. Who wouldn't, obviously? And they'll have to obviously attach a bit more to try and get something of substance. But maybe that's a team that weirdly goes after John Collins or an OG Adenobi or a Fred Van Vliet or something like that. I think Dallas needs to shake it up, not dramatically, but they need to make a pretty big upgrade after losing Jalen Brunson in the off season. I think that they're just going to be making up the numbers in the West playoffs and the West play in picture. If they do fall that far back, then I can't see them going on a deep run. So adding some other talent would be great. The similar could be said for the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know if you put them in the buyer or the seller category, but one thing's for sure, they probably need to get rid of John Collins. I think it's time for a bit of a mix-up and a shake-up. That contract is not fantastic, though, so there won't be tons of buyers for him out there. A proposed deal that I heard was John Collins goes to Utah, and then as a result, they get Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt back. That'd be perfect, if you're asking me, for Atlanta. Maybe they'll decide to keep Collins, but I think that the, after all the shit that's been stuck with this team and the big trade that they made in the offseason for Dejounte Murray, they need to try and tweak this roster slightly to try and realize the potential that they've got. I love Aneka Okongwu, who comes off their bench right now behind Clint Capella. Maybe they'll look at moving Capella on and starting Okongwu eventually. Still a raw prospect and still developing, so not too soon. But there's moves to be made for the Atlanta Hawks. The Utah Jazz, another group that you could put in the sellers. Like I said, Vanderbilt. Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, all these guys have been mentioned in potential rumor mills. I would love to see Mike Conley get moved and land on maybe uh, Miami Heat and then Kyle Lowry gets offloaded in a three-teamer deal or something like that. Maybe instead Mike Conley goes to Minnesota and D'Angelo Russell gets moved. I think that he can really provide a lot of steady leadership for a team that has championship 
aspirations. He's kind of rotting away and wasting his career or the last part of his career, I should say in Utah. And I think the jazz aware of that. And hopefully he gets to find a new home before the deadline arrives. And that's it. That's all I got for this sports bee episode. Like I said, the JLo sit down will occur this weekend. It's very possible that we do a Monday sit down though, because we have a 30th birthday to attend in Rottnest. So unfortunately, unfortunately I'll have to spend the day at the beach and the pub on Sunday, but who knows? We might just roll in tanked and give the people what they want late on a Sunday evening. But either way, there will be a Sunday sit down coming with JLo as the next episode in your feed. I've got a bit of personal stuff going on. So the last couple of weeks have been thrown a bit of a curveball, had internet issues, as I mentioned, I think before, but the Sportsby pod is back up and running and consistent episodes will be coming the your way for the entirety of 2023. Regardless, thank you for listening to this episode. Hopefully you subscribe to the channel or the podcast for future updates and I'll catch you next time.